Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Everybody, this is Jay. Super excited to have him on. He's Armed Bear Caucus on Twitter, um, and I'm gonna get right into it, Jay. Like, I and actually, okay. I'm gonna completely throw you off guard. I know I sent you kind of an idea of what I wanted to discuss mm-hmm. today, but um, I read through some of the stuff that you have published online, and one of the things that's a very hot button topic right now that you have written about extensively is um, immigration. And so I want to kind of throw you off just a little bit, but I want to talk about that because we've got right now they're getting ready to bring all of these Afghan refugees over um, and and bring them into Texas. That in addition to what's already crossing over the border right now from Mexico. So I want to kind of talk to you a little bit because I, I am a constitutionalist, right? So there's nothing Mm -hmm. that says that we should be preventing anybody from coming in the country as far as the actual constitution is written. Now there are some I'm laws. I'm so glad you passed. mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that people get hung up and even I personally get hung up, you know, being a liberty minded individual with the concept of immigration. I'm fine. Bring everybody in here. But my problem is where the social welfare programs are still in place when that process takes place. Right. So, right. Um, so let talk to me a little bit about that, and because it, it it I, seems to be an issue for you too. So I, I'm curious to hear I, what you have to say. This is one of the areas where I I part ways with a lot of my Mises buddies, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of them. Uh, one of the reasons I'm in, I am the Arm Bear Caucuses. We, my wife and I, I just got irritated with all the different caucuses sniping at each other, and I said, "Well, I'm making my own." So this is where I'm coming from. Is kind of in an indie viewpoint, if you will. If I had to uh, philosophically define it, we probably are more radical, if that means anything to people. Right. Uh, The inside baseball term. But to to your question, you are absolutely correct. And I like to point this out to people all the time. Traditionally, constitutional conservatives. And I say point point to the part of the constitution that permits the federal government from regulating or to regulate immigration. Well, it's right there. They say, and I'm like, that says naturalization that has to do with citizen and non-citizen, you know, citizen versus legal resident. I've had so many crazy responses to that question, including one constitutional scholar, conservative gentleman telling me article one, section nine, permitted it, which is importation of certain persons, AKA slaves. And right. I, I didn't, I didn't know how to do with that other than just, you know, kind of block that person from my life. Right. forever. Um, so on the one hand, there is the philosophical underpinning and the libertarian party platform, for instance, talks about freedom of mig- migration in like two places, I think. One of which, though, the main one is the economic section. Uh, freedom, economic freedom, and requires you to be able to move somewhere for a job. And right. as libertarians, we generally don't respect arbitrary borders. And I know the party platform says 
you know, the government should not unreasonably constrain people from crossing a border. And I think that was kind of a, uh, you know, a truce sign yeah. between factions on the platform. But I know people generally fall into a couple camps. Yes, let everybody in. Or no, only let people in who follow the, quote, follow the rules. Or um, like you Please said, a lot of people will say, yeah, a lot of people will say, but well, we have a welfare state. Right. We can't afford it. And I and I, I have a couple of counterpoints to that, I guess. One, it doesn't matter if you're going to hew to a constitutional, uh, if you're going to hew constitutional fealty, you're going to say, I, I'm sorry, if you're going to, if, if anybody's going to restrict immigration from Mexico, it has to be the state of Texas. Right. And they have to decide. But then that leaves me in Oklahoma wondering, well, I want to hire this guy and he's coming from the South, Texas. Do they have a right to stop me from bringing that person in, you right. know, from a commercial flight or something? All these things. Um, so as far as you catching me off guard, I, I know I'm I usually sorry. talk about this in terms of, I usually attack this in terms of, well, it's not constitutional. Right. And if you say, but it's okay because you are also in, inadvertently saying uh, gun control is okay in certain circumstances. The federal government can do these things if, it, if there's a, you know, some other reason that they need to do it or some other need that they seem to be feeling. So I don't, I reject it philosophically from that perspective. And what I, as to, as to the, the welfare state part what are we going to do? Are we never going to, this is the pragmatic attack I would take. Are we never going to reduce any government until all it's, you can't reduce all, all of it at the same time. We're not going to eliminate the welfare state. We have, in my opinion, we have way more shot, a uh, better shot at reducing and streamlining the immigration system. And, and I mean, pragmatically, I know we're not going to go open borders. Right. I know we're never going to, probably in my life, get back to 1835 yeah. guy wanders in from Canada and starts a show, you know, sets up shop. Yeah. Uh, which was interestingly the first hundred years of a Republic. They didn't care. Right. Which by the way, destroys the argument of, well, how can you have a country without any borders? I'm like, well, the U S had borders for a hundred years and didn't control them really. Right. So, I mean, what are you saying? So back to the the welfare state being this monstrous thing that's that's grown since you know what the progressive era you know we're we're going on a hundred years of stacking on program after program. Uh, you're how, how are we going to even ever? You're basically saying we're never going to reform immigration because you're you're predicating it on you know this dependency of well let's reduce the welfare state first. The other point I would probably make is how do you know that legal immigrants are going to eat up all the welfare? Right. In my mind, if you pragmatically, again, went back to say a, uh, an Ellis, I, I always try to sell people. I'm like, Hey man, I know this is what the constitution says. Can I sell you on an Ellis Island, a 21st century approach to Ellis Island? I can buy a gun and get a background check done in five minutes. I can, if five minutes is an okay enough background check for me to purchase a firearm, 
Right. Why can't some guy, uh, you know, go online to the U.S. consulate in Mexico City, get a work visa? You know, Mexico's cooperative. They say, yeah, as far as we know, this guy's not a felon or whatever. And then just come on in. And yeah. why should there be limits on how many times that person goes back and forth? It's it's ironically our restrictions that make people overstay their visas because it's too hard to get them renewed a lot of times. So over again. Yeah. In my view, if we just roll it back, a lot of these arbitrary restrictions, roll it way back, get an Ellis Island-ish style approach going. Hey, uh, you know, welfare people who, who don't, who don't want the welfare state to collapse or maybe think it's a bad idea. What do you think the illegal immigrants are paying their taxes? They're not paying income taxes. They're not paying into social security. They're paying local sales taxes, right? So it's not right. like they're not paying taxes, but they are paying local state, and, you know, sales taxes. Um, if you, if you get them legal and you say, Hey, you can come and go, we don't care. Just here's your, you know, immigrant number and it's feeds into the system. So pragmatically speaking, I think you, you'll actually get, I, I would assume that it would be a wash and I, you know, I'll find studies. We can all go out and find a million studies about what might happen sure. from Cato or Mises.org or any number of different viewpoints on this. I just, at the end of the day, I can't justify saying you can't you can't make open borders. And when I say, but nobody's trying to nobody's trying to really just knock down all the gates and right. just tumbleweeds and Al Qaeda guy with an RPG on his back is just watering over from El Paso or something. Right. That's that's not what anybody's actually talking about. No, none of this. Uh, well, number two. Hey, how about we end the war on drugs? Like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that might help. But I mean, if we're worried about, you know, prohibition breeds black markets. We all as libertarians know this is true every single right. time. So let's lessen the prohibitions. Let's start ratcheting it back the other way and see where we are. That's all I really ever want. Yeah. And I think that's all politically a libertarian can hope for is to say, hey, can we just knock off this crazy system? I mean, I, once upon a time, there somebody made a kind of a humorous flow chart, how to become a citizen. It is like a game of mousetrap, right? If you remember the old, yeah. it's just this crazy Rube Goldberg looking thing where, you know, you apply, you know, six, seven years later. Um, one of our good friends in the neighborhood, she was brought into this country. She married an American. Uh, she's from the Philippines via, you know, the UK, oddly enough, uh, skilled, nurse, you know, the whole thing, she had to work for years to get her citizenship. And it shouldn't take that long. It shouldn't be that hard. And, and, and never mind, you know, and I'm not even asking that the citizenship be that role. Let's, let's get green cards to people. Let's get worker right. visas to people who want them. And let's stop telling employers, you know, economically speaking, I shouldn't have to hire a certain group because the state tells me to. Right. I shouldn't have to prefer one group over another. And to be honest, people um, who are against, you know, the, the, the South Park, they took our jobs argument, right? J-A-W-B-S. one of my favorite episodes. You, do you really want to pay three times as much for tomatoes? Because nope. you will. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not making this up. So 
I don't yeah. know if I've answered your question fully you or exactly. I just, this is just off the top of my head, a couple of things I rant about yeah, sometimes. No, I, I just, with that being such a hot button issue and you having written about it, I wanted to just touch on well, it while I had you and, on here, And if so. I'm going to jab at my, my Mises bros, I think it's interesting. And this is more Twitter than anything else, but I, I scratch my paw scratches my head when I see Twitter and caps railing about we can't bring in immigrants until the welfare state's gone. And I'm like, you're, you're an ANCAP. Why, what, why are right. you arguing you this profit. point? You should be arguing my, why am I arguing the point you should be arguing is, right. is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. Um. So what brought you and I together is uh, Joel with Lair Libertas instruction. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, crazy kid. Yeah. Um, so I want to touch on guns real fast just because, and I know that wasn't on the list either, but um, no, no, that's fine. I'm the there, legislation so. that just passed where uh, we're not doing Russian imports now on ammunition. How do you think that's going to go? Um, well, what it seems to be doing is the prices are going up and the supply is vanishing of like Wolf and Tula ammo clearly. Uh, it's you think Wolf and Tula and will leave and go to I've manufacturing heard Tula's in a already, country? I've heard Tula is already moving an operation to China. Really? Some, I want to say some Wolf is actually manufactured out of Taiwan, so I don't know. It, it's going to affect the supply. People are going to panic. Short term for like a while, always do. yeah. And then, you know, I'm not going to be able to get steel case for anything I may or may not have in the closet. <laughs> um I, mean, I i i thought maybe they they'd do like they'd go to germany or i didn't i didn't expect china so well, that's part, i mean part of the problem is if they manufacture in germany that's going to raise the price right right there and and it just goes back to illustrate the problem this this isn't like a law they passed this is just what the attorney general is saying yeah yeah. Or or the or the president. Well, the off, uh, okay. The so let's talk about that, right? Let's let's really talk about what this is, right? So they know they can't pass the gun reform that they want to. Mm -hmm. They know that they they can't get away with it. So I, I, do you really think? I, I'm sorry, but I can't imagine that Joe Biden really gives a shit who Vladimir Putin poisons. I, I can't imagine that there aren't a lot of people that he has poisoned. Come and on, man. <laughs> that was four or five days ago. <laughs> Holy I mean, shit, man. Sorry, it's okay. Oh, it's so true too. But that's my point. Like he doesn't he doesn't care. This is being used to actually put mm -hmm. their thumb down on the gun industry and gun it, owners in it, the United States. To me, States. this is this is another brick in the wall, man. This is when federal law purports to give the administration, the attorney general, the president as chief trade officer, whatever, the ability to just basically say, this is not suitable. Or, I mean, the sporting purposes thing, like, oh, well, that rifle doesn't look very sporting. I'm not going to allow it to be imported. Right. Because reasons. It's like. Yeah. So, so particularly Russian ammo, you know, as some sort of trade embargo, it, it only hurts the Americans. 
It's like the Chinese steel tariff or any of that other garbage that Trump did, right. which was, well, hey, this tiny group of people says it's cool. But in this case, there's not even a group of people here in America that, that wants it. It's not like, I mean, unless you're talking about Remington or somebody who's suddenly going to corner the market on 762 by 39, which I don't see happening. Right. I mean, we just don't make it cheap enough. And to be honest, uh, there's, a, you know, something special about that steel case out of a commie gun. Yeah. You know, as a <laughs> je ne sais quoi. Uh, I got a little boy that uh, is one of my followers. He just bought his his rifle and now he's not going to be able to buy any ammunition for it. He's so mad. Like, oh, oh God, he's so mad. He's not happy. Um. <sighs> So I just, I wanted to touch on that. What do you think about the Chipman nomination? You think that's going to go through? Um, boy, he's gotten a lot more heat than I thought that they would listen to. Yeah. I mean, it's been relentless and great because yeah, no, yeah. He, he's just horrible. Um, if he didn't get approved, uh, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Yeah. But, um, I, I honestly don't know because this administration is particularly tone deaf in this area. So, well, and I feel like the Uniparty has become particularly tone deaf to the people too. Like this infrastructure bill that just passed, I I don't know a single person that's read that legislation and said, "Man, I really want to give three point one trillion dollars to a bunch of your family and friends that you're going to write these contracts to." Let me fix that for you. I don't know one person who's read the legislation. Oh, I did. I read <laughs> the corner. bill. I mean, cover to cover. Yes. It's one of those. I, I skipped I like, you know, like those... the legalese kind of yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. but I like, I read the entire bill. It is fucking garbage. I can and imagine. There's another guy, uh, Oilfield Rando. I don't know if you follow him or not, but he reads mm. all of the legislation and then writes like articles about what the bill is, oh, but nobody that's voting for it read it. Oh, Thomas Massey, who's always a fun follow, you know, yeah. even though he's a Republican, um, he's always going on about that. Hey, you know, could we have more than 24 hours to look at these 2000 pages of garbage you just dumped on our desk? Right. And they do that on purpose. So, oh, yeah, you know, it's all it's all. Well, it's just fun to see. Well, I just always sit there and I wonder, like, you know, that the the legislators didn't read this, the people who are actually passing the laws. It's the the people behind the scenes, right? The lobbyists, mm-hmm. the attorneys, that's who's writing this garbage. And it's like. And then it's House leadership, Senate leadership, and it's a small cabal of, you know, figureheads and their staff. Right. And they're probably working hand in hand with. You know, if if you really want to know what the deep state is, I try to explain to people there is a there is a group of unelected middle managers, we'll call them, on the executive branch that never leave. Right. They don't care what administration's in place. You know, the administrations change every four years or eight years or whatever. And that group of what I call middle managers, that's the layer between the vast majority of the federal workers, you know, workforce and the appointees. So the appointees right. change with the administration, but there's this chunk in the middle, you know, 
that the at the if you're familiar with the terminology, the SES layer executives. Right. Uh, yeah. And they don't it's, change. It's those people on one end, and and you know, like you said, the the legislative. I don't know. There's there's some group of gray men and women. We'll just yeah. be fair, men and women who are gray, uh, running around in the Capitol just feeding stuff. Do you remember the? I, I just randomly was thinking of when Robert Byrd was still in the Senate, and it was basically weekend at Bernie's, right? You know, and like he had as a guy leading him around, leading him right. to the podium, leading him to his desk, sign this, Mister. Like Senator, Joe Biden's going, Secret Service, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not um, sure Pelosi's not in that category pretty soon this is her vodka supplier no i'm i'm sorry that was mean okay so um let's talk education system right so i feel like the that and that was originally what you and i had had talked about oh, discussing yeah, yeah. um the the lack of good literature that people acquaint themselves with right so um if I were to go ask, you know, the people that I'm friends with in my day-to-day life, hey, you know, have you read Rothbard's Anatomy of the State? They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, it, it, right. like these are not required reading materials in school. I, I remember uh, Howard Zinn's, like, A People's History of the United States. Have you read that book? I have not. Okay, so, like, but, that was my American oh. history book. Okay. And it's not good. Like it's it's historically somewhat inaccurate in certain places. It's very opinionated. It's very propagandized. If I were to make an argument for it, um, so but I, I, go ahead. I was just curious what sort of what generation you're coming in on because I'm squarely Gen X. Oh yeah. Like, so I'm so I, I, I'm a geriatric millennial is apparently like what my formal name is. Okay. Like I'm the Zennial. <laughs> so Got like it. I'm in that the halfway last halfway between group of, me and yeah. the and Yeah. The, okay. Like I'm like latchkey kid, uh nineties kid. So I've like I was born in eighty three, but I'm yeah. So technically, I'm right in that last year or two on the cusp of being a millennial, right. which well, I, I don't. I graduated with. high school in the late '80s, so um, very much uh, John Hughes kind of culture, right? Right, the, all those movies. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not familiar with your textbook. I want to say our textbooks were probably a little bit sanitized, um, particularly with like. Native American history and stuff like that, right. which is pretty typical. Um, coming out of the seventies, my I had a, a couple of interesting viewpoints. My mother was a public school teacher for probably seven years in the Oklahoma City area, and when she was teaching in the six the early sixties, she tells me the story about one of her superintendents saying, "Boy, just wait till the federal government starts funding this, and you're it's going to go downhill." So this is before now pe- people usually will say get rid of the Department of Education. But what they don't realize is when Carter or whenever it was created the Department of Education, it was basically consolidating functions out of other agencies. So it's not like they just suddenly started right. meddling in education in 1974. Uh, I mean, my dates are probably wrong. So it's kind of like the Department of Homeland Security was just an amalgam of a bunch of other 
offices, departments, and whatnot. So, so I, I caution people. Yeah, we can do, we can eliminate the Department of Education, and then those functions will go crawling right back to where they were. Now they'll be a little less visible and maybe a little less influential. But you've got to burn it out at the root if you're going right. to really make headway. And so she, my mom would say, you know, suddenly all these these requirements come in, right? Because when you take the king's shilling, you have to obey the rules, right? So that really started in the 60s, you know, probably several years before the DOE rears its ugly head. Um, and it has, if you look at the, if you look at the uh, average test scores and per pupil spending and all this business, you know, the average test scores go flat, the per pupil spending uh, adjusted for inflation and all that, you know, on the graphic goes, you know, and then the test scores are flat. So, Congratulations, I guess. Right. Uh, but back to, uh, I think what you were talking about is your, your history book was crap, right? Yeah. I think we have a lot more access to better texts, but it's it's really kind of hard, like you said, to find something that's not, you know, agendaized. Right. Like America's horrible or America's yeah. awesome. Right? I'm like, okay, just tell me what happened. Right. And then let's talk about it. So- I mean, what's the answer? I think, uh, number one, get rid of the Department of Education, ironically, and then just basically pass a bill that says, we're done. We're not sending money. The states shall no longer send money and just keep their own. And let's start working it back, you know, ratcheting it back the other way. Um, The public school model is so, it was outdated when it was invented, probably, right? This idea that we stratify kids by age which doesn't make any sense because at home the siblings are probably not all the same age unless your mom had quadruplets or whatever. Right. So um, I'm coming, I'm coming off of uh, several years now. Uh, My wife, right before we got married, I'm remarried. Right. Uh, She decided to pull her kids out of the local district and the local school district where we are is a boutique, right? It's K through eight only. And uh, then they funnel into your choice of one of two really nice public school systems, um, you know, well-funded and the whole deal. Uh, but, but it was, it was just, you couldn't, you couldn't make any headway. If, if the superintendent disagreed, that was it. The yeah. superintendent basically picked the school board as opposed to the other way around. You know, it was like, Oh, if Mr. Super doesn't like this person, we probably shouldn't vote for him. And you ended up with, a guy who was superintendent for almost 30 years. So she's like, we're done. Pulled her kids out and it's been an adventure, a really kind of a fun and horrifying adventure in equal measure. But <laughs> um, my oldest stepdaughter uh, just left for college and her ACTs were fine, well above average. Her credits were fine, well above average. Their GPA was well above average. You know, the, the funny thing is when you, you have to, you have to order a diploma and you kind of feel like you're trying to get away with something, but right. then you realize, hold on, the state diplomas are fake. Yeah. <laughs> At least as fake as this one. So right. that's funny. Um, so it, it ends up being fine. And so if there are people out there who are worried about, you know, homeschooling. Well, I think there's a lot of people a right shot. now. And I, I don't know that this was the direction that I intended to take, but 
I'm in a huge fight right now with our local school board. So I have been speaking at meetings and all of that stuff. I'm I'm on week two of my COVID recovery, and um, I have huge issues with the masking of children. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been going and fighting at these school board meetings, and it's the same situation. And what happened at our last meeting, the board actually relinquished all authority dealing with COVID to the superintendent. So the board's not even going to take a vote anymore on anything regarding COVID. The superintendent gets to unilaterally decide for the entire school system. That's pretty weak sauce. Yeah. They're just, they're just, so now everyone's going to yell at the super and then go to the school board meeting and demand they fire the super. What Or say, oh, well, we're going to vote you out. Well, it's not my fault that we Mm -hmm. shut the schools down. It's not my fault where it's the superintendent's fault, but you choose the superintendent. Like it's school board elections, by the way, are vicious. Yes, they are. They're (laughs) incredibly brutal. One of the reasons Um, that was one of the other reasons we pulled out was school board fights were just ridiculous around here. And well, it's just, it's not supposed to be about politics at this point, right? Like we should be actually mm-hmm. making decisions about what's best for the kids. That That's your job. Your job is to advocate for children, not, not some fucking union. Not, I'm sorry. Nope. Um, not some. Um, <laughs> and when you have 67% of the teachers also say that they do not want the children masked. I mean, you probably need to start listening to the parents and the teachers. Maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So, but talking about homeschooling, so I want to ask you a little bit about that since you do have experience with it. Um, Do your kids appreciate the fact that they were homeschooled? Like, is that, are they glad that that's how their education ended up? So, every time they've been threatened with public school as a result of poor choices or whatever, it's pointed out that you would have to get up at, you know, six in the morning and be on a bus. Right. And that's the most terrifying part for them is that they really, really enjoy their flexible schedule. They can get up because if you have teenagers and now I've got, I mean, I have my own and married into three more. So it's sort of a little Brady Bunch kind of deal, but they're all teenagers now. Like I said, one just took off for college. She just turned 18 and bailed on us. Um, But the rest are middle teens and they don't get up at six naturally. <laughs> it isn't a thing. Right. Follow the science. So, you know, and I work early, so it's, <laughs> it gets to be interesting when, you know, they, they want to be up till 11, 12 every night because they didn't get up till right. nine or, you know, whatever it is, sure. wander out of, but they really, really, I think mostly appreciate being able to do school in PJs at 10 in the morning. Yeah. And, and and what people don't understand about this is when you line up your own curriculum, and this doesn't mean you're self-teaching. Homeschooling isn't self-teaching. It's what I think a lot of people assume that like moms are at the kitchen table reading from a primer or something, and that's not right. what it is. What their mother has mostly done is she's a curriculum director. She gets each kid their curriculum sorted out. It might be at a local co-op. It might be an online class with a small tuition. It might be across town at a certified teacher 
who dropped out of the system and now teaches kids out of her house. We've done that before. So they're able to get that stuff in and out. And and it takes as long as they want it to take. It doesn't right. take seventh hour, you know. They don't have to be there sitting around, you know, waiting for class to end or running down a hallway and, you know, dealing with horrible public school kids who shove them into lockers or whatever it is. Sure. But uh, I think if you, if, if you held their feet to the fire, you know, you, they'd say, yeah, we kind of, we kind of think it's cool to do school and PJs on the couch with a laptop. Right. And, what about like social engagement? Like how do they get that by they, being homeschooled? So here's, here's the secret. They have friends. Oh, our kids our kids have friends <laughs> from co-op our kids have friends from uh like say a jiu-jitsu class or fencing or whatever the heck they're doing as an extracurricular or homeschool band right yes oklahoma has a huge homeschool band program um a private organization that has like over a thousand kids in it i wow. think wow and they have chapters all over the state. It's pretty cool. Uh, we're in the Metro. So one of, uh, one of the boys, the teen boys, uh, has a strings teacher who's in the Philharmonic at Oklahoma city who comes to our house. Um, and he has homeschool band and it's all this stuff. You, you're just like the lid comes off. There's no limit to what you can, can't do. And it doesn't cost a fortune unless you really want it to. In fact, you're way more likely to spend your way into poverty at a Tony po- uh, private school, you know, right. than, than doing it this way. So um, they have friends from all these different activities. Like I said, co-ops, extracurricular stuff. And let's be honest, kids today, they're all in their phones anyway. Right. Sure. So at least I know, I mean, we know who their friends are and uh, they, they all just went to the local ice rink the other day with their underdeveloped asocial friend group, you know, <laughs> uh, it reminds me of the apocryphal story of the mom, you know, two moms meet at the park and one mom's mm-hmm. homeschooled and the other mom says, well, how do your kids get any social engagement? And the one mom looks at the other and it's like pointing at the playground. Like you're you here know, with like, my kids right now. You're here with my kids right now. <laughs> and that goes back to the whole social engagement in the public school is artificially stratified and doesn't actually do- help them develop. Right. If everybody in your peer group is the exact same age, that isn't challenging to a lot of kids. Sure. So there's a lot of studies that talk about when you have kids that are in different ages, and like in a homeschool environment, particularly the youngest are at a huge advantage because they can piggyback off of what up, yeah. big brother and big sister did. So, you know, the youngest is actually blasting through her math at stupid rates. So that's cool. Um, okay, anyway. so let's School, go ahead and move guns, into party immigration. stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm a party guy. You are. You're part of the OKLP. I Okay, so I have to be honest with you, and I'm going to be really transparent with you. I almost canceled our, our episode tonight. Uh-oh. Because... You guys had a pretty salty start to your year um, with Kevin having to step down as your chair. Right, right. And 
I'm very good friends with Ashley. Okay. So I, I felt a, a moral conflict of interest there because I didn't appreciate how that was handled, not necessarily from a party perspective, but a lot of the people surrounding it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like a lot of us know Kevin and I mean, he was the chair. Uh, He's very active and all that. And I don't know how to put this other than he kind of withdrew from social media for his own reasons, which aren't necessarily all about his previous relationships. Um, and basically asked everybody, look, uh, you know, don't feel like you have to comment on this. Yeah. And so we're kind of all like, oh, okay. Um, if he wants to talk about it, I guess he'll talk about it. But, you know, we're kind of like, he stepped down. The The drama end of that, I think, is pretty much Twitter. I, yeah. There are people who are going back and forth. Uh, uh, I, all I can, all I can say is maybe there's there's perspectives that people on Twitter don't have. And yeah, I'm not I'm not here to comment on it either way. And I've actually no, no, know, no. And I pretty much said, hey, everybody, just let it go. Yeah. So that's what we did. Do you think that? Do you regret how it was handled from a party perspective? Do you think that you guys should have publicly come out and denounced the behavior? Well, I guess if you're going to put me on the spot, I have, and this is going to sound like a lawyer, you know, a public defender, but what behavior well, are the we fact talking that he about? Admitted because... to it and still was, was propped as the chair, right? Like he publicly admitted that he abused her. And I, th- I think I know which tweets you're talking about. And I, this is going to sound horrible, but I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand the context and I'm not, I'm not here to attack no, I just, or defend I, or any of that. I just think what I witnessed on Twitter was a lot of people connecting dots that weren't necessarily, you know, right. maybe accurate. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not here to call anyone out. I just, no, I know. And I, the reason we really basically the party, as far as I know, and I'm not on the executive committee, but they accepted his resignation and it was pretty quick. So it wasn't like we had all these weeks and weeks and months of, you know, sheltering somebody or any of that stuff. So sure. The reason that I bring it up is to let you know that 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 was an internal issue that I was having personally because Ashley is a friend of mine. And I I reached out to her first to ask her if she was still okay if we had this episode because it's it's important to me that for my friendship and my integrity that I don't give voice or a platform to somebody who may have contributed to additional damage that she incurred. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. I just, and uh, it to also like lead into this conversation about the libertarian party and the Mises caucus, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of 
there is a lot of opportunity for both of those platforms, although they do not completely coincide with one another. There is an opportunity for real growth and change politically right now. There are a lot of disenfranchised voters who are looking for places to go. And I can't help from the outside looking looking down or, or in, right, objectively, I can't help but feel like there's a lot of waste right now within mm-hmm. both of those organizations where we're busy talking about who's fat on Twitter versus right. actually like going against the state, which we all should be doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So so let's differentiate between Liberty Twitter and basically everything else. Sure. Let's do that. It's... <sighs> There is drama on Twitter that has spilled over from real world events. Um, Case in point. Like, or just take somebody completely neutral to this conversation. Like, there are a group of people who hate every atom in Josh Smith's, Josh Smith's body and actively go at him, like, all the time. And, right. I, you know, I don't, I'm friendly with Josh. Yeah, I am too. I met Josh. We hung out at Orlando. And I'm like, yeah, he's a nice enough guy. And it doesn't matter how many receipts he provides as to what the reality of his situation is. There is a group of people that I called Liberty Mean Girls who did some pretty shady crap. Yeah. And these I are heard about party that. people. These are party people. And I'm like, Josh, there's a thing in law that I Googled because I can Google called, <laughs> uh, what was it? Tortious interference in a custodial relationship. Yeah. Talking specifically about his daughter and his yeah. custody and people trying to get in the middle of that. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's actionable in a lot of States and they need to knock it off. And I don't yeah. understand it. So in the party, yes, there are mean girls, just like there are in every other organization. There um, are mean but, uh, guys too. And well, I mean girls yeah, is a collective, sure. right? Okay. Just the idea that there's a group of people that seem to be more interested in maintaining their social credit rating, whatever it's worth. If it means making sure somebody else isn't getting more, that's fine. Right. And it's I call it the big fish little pond effect. They don't want a big pond. They want to be the big fish forever. And you know, they're in reality they're small fish, right? They're yeah. minnows. But the pond is small because we're libertarians. There's only a few of us. And yeah, it's completely a waste of time for what what they're doing. But I I would say on the other hand, if you go back to the whole Orlando thing, uh, last spring twenty twenty. May 2020 was when they scheduled the convention and they had to cancel it uh, because the hotel in Austin, Texas said we can't, or, you know, there was, they invoked a uh, cancellation force majeure clause or whatever, because they couldn't guarantee what the contract said or whatever. And I'm not, I wasn't in on that, right? but the, the the national committee had to cancel that. So they had to come up with a way for us to get our presidential nominee going and all this stuff. And so there's all this talk about, We'll do the convention online. The bylaws don't allow it, but we have no choice. You know, it goes back and forth. Right. 
the short version of the story is probably only a fourth of the voting delegates voted for an all online convention, which would clearly have violated the bylaws. Right. Three fourths of the people were like, no, we only agreed to this online thing. If in, there would be a in-person convention as stipulated legal, the whole deal. So that that made me feel a little better that there's a silent majority kind of thing going where there's the people, the Twitter and the Facebook uh, drama people who are, you know, the Sarwarks and the anti-Sarwarks to a degree going back and forth all the time. Right. But, and, and I know that's off-putting as hell for a lot of new people. And it is the reason that the Mises guys are recruiting so highly because there's a lot of disaffected Republicans Let's I'm one of honest. them. I, I was a Republican. I will tell you I, a, I will tell you a story. And this is gonna this I hope this irritates all the right people. Um I had seen all this, well, the libertarians, you know, were anarchists, or the libertarians were this, or the libertarians were that, and I'm like, hold up. I asked the old man, Frank, who's our <laughs> who founded our state party, Frank Robinson. He's a He's kind of a legend. He was uh, one of the, he's probably the last living co-founder of the original National Party. And I asked him, Frank, it's my impression that the Libertarian Party started as a bunch of pissed off Goldwater Republicans. He's like, yeah, we were sick of Nixon. So <laughs> I see you got a bug. Um, I do. I, it's driving me insane. If I can catch <laughs> it. Or kill anyway. it, like I, I keep, and it keeps <laughs> coming not, to my I face. Not, I will not, I will not say anything if you have a giant attack there. Like an outburst but, in a minute. I yeah. don't know where it went, but it's driving so, me nuts. Oh, it's right behind you. Um, no, so so basically, Frank, you know, he let it all out. He says, "Yeah, we were all irritated by Nixon and started this party." He says, "I was further radicalized." So he's way more radical, half anarchist now, but. I say this to point out that the Libertarian Party is at its heart and essence a minarchist institution. Right. Um, if you were really, really, really anarchist, you would probably not be. I mean, the the ANCAP people who are pragmatic are in the party, and they should be there. They should be yeah. in the party. Um, in fact, my my spectrum of Libertarian legitimacy, if I were the king of all things, would be. Okay, hold on. Are you going to get him? Clap your hands. <laughs> oh, it's driving me nuts. I'm totally going to have to edit this out. It's but okay. I'll, it, it's, it's fine. I can't find it. Ugh. Okay, keep going. Um, you know, for me, the spectrum kind of runs from classical liberalism of the founders through, you know, like a minarchist phase and off into the ANCAP world. Um the party, the party is essentially a minarchist capitalist party. And that's just how it was. And I think that's still how it mostly is. There are a lot of principled left libertarian types. Um, I think there's a lot of reconciliation that some uh, like Lipsock types need to do with the party platform. Uh, because I, I think throwing out or rejecting half of it probably means this isn't this isn't a good fit. I'm not going to kick anybody out. 
right. saying for a big, we're a big tent and there's a lot of people that won't come in the tent. Yeah. But they say they're in the tent. But you're not in the tent. Yeah. Um, I'll probably catch some hell for this, but um, where were we talking? I got a little confused by the moth. So I'm sorry. So where, <laughs> it's a what was the question? Ride. No, oh, the, God, like, those are the worst. I am. I'm trying to. It wasn't really a question. It's just like a generalization. Like I feel oh, right. like they're missing an opportunity. Like I feel like. Right. <clears throat> I, I I don't really. I was I, I was a conservative Republican until mm. I'd say March of 2020 when you started telling me that I had to give up my fucking civil liberties because you're worried about a virus, right? So like mm -hmm. the radicalization that has taken place for me personally over the course of the last year is vast. Like the the difference in how I feel towards politics, the government, this country in general has shifted a complete 180. And <laughs> um the <laughs> opportunity for me to be brought into you've got to be kidding me right now <laughs> driving me and it keeps going after my lipstick um <laughs> the opportunity that i could have been brought into the libertarian party or the mises caucus would have been much greater had i felt like people were actually trying to bring me in or or not as I don't even like to say bring me in because the I don't I don't do the collectivism thing right like I don't I don't need to believe all the same things that you believe or act the way that you do but to at least give me like common ground with you to want to have like a conversation or something right and now I just look at all of the people who have the biggest voices in those platforms and I'm like you're just an edge lord like you just want to be cool you want people yeah. to like. I, I think it's a missed opportunity. 95% less edgy in yeah. the Liberty movement. Um, I, I appreciate a good comedy act or whatever. And I understand sometimes there's a time and a place for edgy humor, polemic kind of diatribes and whatnot. But, you know, it's like the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a time for this. Right. It's not all the time. Yeah. You know, if somebody like AOC comes out and says something completely off the wall, bonkers, stupid, by all means, uh, you know, right. flood tubes two and four and engage, right? And sure. just sink that thing. But when you've got, and to be honest, people on Twitter, it's kind of hard not, I can understand it's kind of hard not to react kind of snarkily when you have some edgelord leftist income whatever you know griping about something from their iphone and you're like mm -hmm, hello right yeah uh you know talking about a work a living wage <laughs> like yeah. you have a thousand dollar phone and you're complaining about a living wage you're a ridiculous person yes. they probably are ridiculous people they're probably also 19 years old and sure. don't know anything yeah and that's one of the advantages of being in gen x today is we know all kinds of things now instead of not knowing anything. I'm teasing. Right. No, I got you. Uh, it, it's, it is frustrating. And I know there's a lot of 
Mises, you know, uh, oriented people who take a lot of heat for being what we call polemic. Um, I think if we tempered that with a lot more, you know, nice outreach, mm -hmm. like, look, man, if somebody's willing to at least talk, we should totally just talk. But I, but I understand there's a target rich environment on some place like Twitter. Right. Um, but on the flip side, like all of the, the new people who came into the OKLP uh, came in from Mises and, you know, there's all this talk about the takeover and I'm like, yeah, okay. They came in, they uh, elected a lot of people to the board and then they all to a person said, how can we help the state party? And so at the end of the day, I just want to say, kids, I don't care if you hate the national party or you think, quote, LP National is off track. I don't know what people think LP National is because it doesn't it's it's a nonsense term. LP National is a Twitter account. Right. Uh, the LP is made up of thousands of people. The LNC is made up of, you know, a dozen or so um, who were elected. And there's that's. That amount of drama is kind of irrelevant. They they do things at the national level, but if you don't want to deal with that, if you don't want to put up with that, I don't care. Go join your state party and volunteer and get a city councilman elected. You know, go wave a sign right. or 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 door hang, door knocker kind of activities. Uh, my wife and I have done that several times. We have three, uh, two of which were on city council campaigns that were victorious. That's kind of One exciting. of which our former state chair won by two votes in Choctaw, Oklahoma, which is not the biggest town in the world, but it's not small. Right. That's exciting. He won he won by two. Now, I think those two votes I mean, that's critical having, you know, your kids jumping up and down waving a sign and your wife knocking on doors while you tick people off of the list and navigate around a town you don't know. Sure. We, we've been doing that kind of volunteering. If Do that. I mean, ignore yeah. the National Party. You don't have to have anything to do with them. Right. If you are actually serious about affecting political change in your area, please consider your local county affiliate or state affiliate or both. You know, don't, don't join National. I don't care. Yeah. If you want to play in the show and, and do all that, whatever you call it, that's great. But I will say the national people, it's a small pond. You go to a convention and you'll meet all these super famous libertarian people and find out that they work at a hardware store. Right. I mean, Spike, Spike Cohen is obviously a secret billionaire overlord and that's how he <laughs> travels the country. I, he's, he came to our convention. Uh, we hung out with him. I told him to go to Brahms uh, and eat ice cream. So, um, but like, like I said, Orlando was our first convention. What did we end up doing? We ended up, my wife ended up uh, coming in and substituting for a bunch of, t a bunch of tellers left early on Sunday because they didn't think that the convention, they thought the convention was scheduled to end at like 4 p.m. And so they all had flights out. I'm like, who does this? Um, <laughs> so my wife, who's the state secretary, volunteered to go help. So at the end of convention, we end up in Karen Ann Harlow's suite with her husband, Wayne, while Josh is lounging on a couch. I mean, people from every, you know, group right. are in this thing. 
while Twitter and Facebook are going insane, saying the vote is being rigged. And I'm like, the vote's being rigged by who? Karen Ann's right there next to Joe Henchman, who was the you know who won the chair, and they were tallying up stuff. I'm like, these people are all people. I mean, if the fanciest people you've got are, you know, attorneys with a regular practice in a town somewhere. I mean, it's not Dr. Jorgensen. She's a professor. Yeah. You know, these are, this party isn't about, even at the national level is not a bunch of super famous wealthy elites. The most elite you get, like I said, is the evil billionaire overlord, Spike Cohen, um, (laughs) who roams around, you know, spreading his nanites or whatever he does. Sure to bring people to liberty, which I fully support Spike as overlord. So that's fine. Do you think that... <laughs> I'm rambling again. I told you no, about no, that. No, you're fine. I just... <clears throat> I've gotten the impression that the Mises Caucus has really moved toward, like these ANCAPs have really moved towards being like just not participating in the system anymore. Like they're not voting anymore. Right. They don't care about the elections and things like that. So I, I know there are a strain of ANCAP that don't vote. Right. I tend to ascribe that more to the agorist subculture of anarchy who are like voting is immoral. Um, spooner, Spooner, Spooner. By the way, Spooner, have you read Spooner? That kind of thing. Kind of like how the Mises people are all Rothbard, Rothbard, Rothbard. Have you read Rothbard? I'm like, okay, everyone, I understand who Rothbard is. <laughs> Everybody has their favorite, you know, right. economic philosopher or whatever. But I, I'm like, this is the Libertarian Party. This is a political party. This political party is part of this system. I know we don't like the system. We're playing the game on the field with the rules that we have because right. the alternative is bloody right yeah i don't know someday in the future will there be another glorious revolution i i hope it doesn't come to that i'd I'd rather fix these issues or at least wake people up to where they're not just voting and checking a box Ah. like i tell you what tell you what you can do states are the solution right right to federal overreach, and they always were. States ultimately just forgot that they actually run the show. Sure. The federal government can do what they want. But I have this crazy, like, I want to write a a short story fantasy about some state like Montana, somebody crazy enough to tell the feds, uh, no, we're not going to put, we're not going to make the tobacco age 21. And then the feds come back and go, well, we won't send you your highway money. And that state's saying, okay, "Okay, we're we're not collecting it at the pump anymore. Right. Texas could get away with that. Texas is, if there's anybody that's going to do it, I feel like Texas is getting really close to it. I mean, Montana got, I want to say about 10 years ago, Montana made a little bit of a move towards, we're not participating in this, these monkey shines anymore. But so what are your what are your thoughts on balkanization then? Like, what do you think about a, a national divorce? Was, I, I think the country started as a union of states. I think if we went to our original constitutional model, 
as originally publicly understood by the people who signed off on it. I know, sorry, ANCAP, uh, agorists, and Spoonerites who are like, the Constitution is powerless to prevent this. And like, yeah, well, the rules of Major League Baseball are powerless to prevent a spitball then, (laughs) right? It's against the rules if you don't enforce the rules, Uh, whatever. Okay. I, I understand that's not what Spooner was really on about. There was a lot more nuance to it, but um, balkanization is not balkanization was the design. I mean, we shouldn't be a you know giant chunks of the country. Uh, Texas should have their own rules if they want. Oklahoma right. has their own rules. Um, that that becomes not really a thing if, like I said, if the states would just rediscover the dual sovereignty model and say, "Hey, we don't owe you a thing." I mean. Maybe it takes an Article Five convention. Maybe it, I, I, I don't know. That's pretty dramatic. But uh, I will tell you this. Here's why I'm a little more sanguine than a lot of people about the direction the country is headed. Uh, I don't think it's hopeless. And here's why. If you look at gun rights since 1990, uh, say the 90s. In the early 90s, there was no concealed carry anywhere, really, except for maybe Arizona had open carry because they never prohibited it. Good for them. So it was Florida. Then they got called the gunshine state and it was horrible. And there were going to be people shooting each other over a Walmart parking space, which never happened. You now have what? Almost every state has a, has a concealed carry issuance regime. The new phase it's constitutional slash open slash unrestricted carry, which Oklahoma just did. And Texas is uh, maybe just did Oklahoma did like a year ago. So if you look at that states, just kind of unregulating it when enough states do that, it puts huge amount of pressure on Congress, which brings me to my second thing, the opposite of gun rights, weed, right? right? I'm looking at the camera. I don't smoke weed. I never have. I'm probably never going to do it. Not just because of my job or any of that. Whatever. On the other hand, I don't care right. what people do in their own house. That's the essence of liberty, right? I don't care. Right. If you get wacky with the 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 grass, <laughs> the wacky grass, whatever it is. You're, so, you're bordering on boomer talk right now. No, no, like, I, I do that on purpose. Trust me. And, Trust and me, I Gen X. I do that. Well, think about this, though. The boomers were all high as a kite when they were in college. My mom was such a pothead. Like, she would tell me stories about yeah. being, like, lit and passed out. And I'm like, God. <laughs> mom. <laughs> uh, well, what, what I was going to say was look at the state initiatives and state questions that have been popping up all over the place, you now have a super majority of states that have somehow decrimmed, legalized, medicalized, whatever, to some degree, marijuana to the point where at some point in the very near future, in the next two years, probably two to five years, I'd say the federal government is going to be forced to deschedule it. Because well, it's it interesting that you say when, that because a lot of state has no law and the feds are like, nope, still illegal. Eventually, those state legislatures 
and people that represent those states are going to be like, hey. A lot of people don't remember this, but right before Donald Trump left office, the House of Representatives has already passed a bill that states that marijuana is decriminalized. So this they is what I think is interesting. They never sent it to the Senate. No. So the Congress is still wrapped up in a bunch of drug warriors. What I think is really weird is if I'm not mistaken, the director of the DEA or the president or the attorney general, one of these people can, by executive action, reschedule but not deschedule a drug. They have that flexibility. Yet. They still don't do it. You know where I'm going with this? President Chumgang Obama couldn't be bothered to take it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. Right. Even Schedule 2. Yeah. Now, if you're going to put something on a schedule, marijuana probably ought to be on three or four or off altogether. But I'm saying you could have rescheduled that. Any one of these presidents who was like, yeah, we probably shouldn't be throwing everyone to jail for weed. Here's me not doing anything about it. Right. And letting the, you know, drug war continue and locking up a bunch of poor people and yeah. minorities. You know, if you if you administered truth serum to the last three or four presidents, they'd be like, I hate women and minorities. Oh, you know, <laughs> people disproportionately affected by these victimless crimes, you know. I, yeah. I just think it's disgusting that, you know, Bush admitted to it. Clinton, oh my God, Clinton. You knew he was lit sure, in yeah. college, if not in the Oval Office. I mean, you've got Bush. They all admitted, oh, well, I tried it that one time. President Obama admitted it to smoking profusely through college. And not one of these people, and you know Trump's tried it, right? right. Everybody's done it. I don't know about Biden. Oddly, I don't I don't think Biden Actually, did, I don't think that Donald Trump has. He is very big on, not that, I mean, not that this matters or is relevant, but his thing was always like he never, his kids didn't and he doesn't ever like partake in vices. So that's why he never, like when he would go to all of these events and stuff, he would always drink like Diet Coke or water. Like he wouldn't drink alcohol. Um, He doesn't do anything that could potentially like bring him down. Oh, right. Because he might get attacked I'm just at saying, any time. Like, that's one of the things that no, he his vices, about. I, I, that, that his does vices make a weird a kind of different. sense. His <laughs> vices are all, you know, sex related, right? Right. <laughs> okay. He just grabs but women I, I, by the pussy. He doesn't drink I, alcohol um, or smoke weed. Like the, but, you know, God put him there. Ugh. <sighs> yeah. In the same sense that God put Hitler in power or any of these other things. <sighs> Look, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian and I believe in the sovereignty of the Almighty and that he sets up and tears down kings. Okay, let's be clear. Right. That doesn't mean it's an approval sure. of this people's anyway, behavior. Or... Don't even right. get me started. on the, the evangelical love affair with Donald Trump makes no sense to me at all. <laughs> So there you go. That's funny. Uh, no, but I, I just, it's, it's just, like I said, it's just disgusting that all these presidents talk about it. And like every single one of them could have literally said, hey, DA guy, whatever your name is, put weed on Close schedule two. Shop. Stat. 
but it would it would lose them too much money, right? Right. So uh, it would it would put downward pressure on asset forfeiture and all this other crap that we're trying to get rid of at state and local levels, which is back to the whole. I think states can fix a lot of these problems by eliminating a lot of these programs and refusing to cooperate with the federal programs, right? Like asset forfeiture, these kind of things. So we've seen a lot less people in jail for marijuana because of state questions and local action. So it's still possible. We have some pretty good examples of how it's possible that freedom got increased not only by the people, but by voting, voting for freedom. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink, agorist man. (laughs) I know it's not the same as choosing another master, but uh, um, it's the system that we choose to work within the system. So as a, as a libertarian, as a party person, as a pragmatist in action, but not Prague caucus. Ugh. Um, and they're not even a thing anymore. I don't think. Really? I think they, I think they went away after hmm. the last chair resigned. Anyway. Uh, I, I mean, I think we're doing what we can. And like, we've seen gains. We've seen increase in voter registration in our party. We've seen people getting, starting to get elected where we hadn't the last, you know, 10 years ago, there were zero. Right. Now there's five. We have five city council, maybe more. I mean, a couple of them, yes, they they switched while in office, and yes, they're nonpartisan. But at some point, we're going to crack that nut of like a state legislator, a partisan right. race, or a partisan mayor's race somewhere. It, it's coming. So I think keep that... rowing, keep rowing the boat, people. I don't know. I, I'm. I think Thomas Massey is probably the only person Rand Paul maybe sometimes yeah, not about very half often the time. do what yeah I think Rand Paul about half the time he's like spot on and the other right. half you're like bro where did you, what Republican grabbed a hold of you on your way in cop gave you a bag of money that you had to say that <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I I don't know like I'd like to see some gains made for the party if of liberty. Like, I don't, I don't care. Agorist, anarchist. Right. I don't care. I just want more freedom minded individuals to be in a position to affect change. And yeah. so I, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how things shake out over the course of the next, I don't know, five to 10 years. I do too. I just like, I'm, I'm hopeful our party, our state party has grown. Like by leaps and bounds the past two or three cycles. So, um, you know, national, national will come and go as, but as more states grow, you know, that puts that upward pressure on the national membership. So at some point, you know, we'll, at some point, I possibly potentially a principled, if there is such a thing, a principled Republican or Democrat candidate will agree to a debate. Maybe, yeah. but I don't, I don't know. Um, we all know the commission on presidential debates is a f- sham. So yeah, that's super frustrating. Um, oh, well you can't be in the debate unless you poll at, you know, this level on these five polls, but our well, polls are all poll us? Well, but- the polls, they didn't, they didn't include Joe Jorgensen on the poll. So they ensure that they won't get the percentage by just ignoring him. So crazy 
All right, sir. I am going to end this. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff, where they can find oh, your. Okay. So <clears throat> I believe I'm on Facebook as Armed Bear Caucus um, okay. at Armed Bears on Facebook. Uh, www.armedbears.org is primarily an offsite mirror for the Facebook posts and stuff in case, you know, I get zucked. Sure. And then uh, uh, Twitter at Armed Bear Caucus. Uh, or you know my lovely wife at Mrs. Labc. She's my the other the other member of the caucus, <laughs> uh, the lovely state secretary of the OKLP. Awesome. Other than um, that, I, I, I appreciate, appreciate the time. Yeah, no, thanks you, so much for coming on with me. It was yeah. it was good. Uh, maybe we can do another one as we get closer to election time and Be stuff happy like that. To. I just thought you might want somebody who would get on here who wasn't just going to make fun of other people. Yeah, it, you know, it's like important. all those Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care.